This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. My name is Jayan Shriram and I'm your host for today. In this episode, we continue our state-by-state analysis of this set of assembly elections currently underway and we look at Tamil Nadu, which goes to vote on April 6. We often frame the question for each state in terms of what has changed politically since the last assembly election in 2016 and nowhere has the change been as dramatic or as seismic even as in Tamil Nadu, where the intervening years saw the passing away of the DMK's M. Karunanidhi and the AIA-DMK's J. Jayalalitha. Between them, for decades, the two held such an iron grip on the respective party structures and the state's politics. And in the power vacuum that has naturally ensued since their passing, is there an opportunity now for change and for a new kind of political paradigm to emerge? That is the question and the dynamic that characterizes this election in the state. And to discuss it further, I'm joined by the Hindu's associate editor, Narayan Lakshman. Narayan, welcome back to the InFocus podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Great to be here, Jayanth. Right. So uh, we're discussing the Tamil Nadu assembly polls. And, you know, as we're doing these preview episodes for each state, uh, we try and get a sense of um, what's changed since the last time the state went to polls. That's in 2016. And, um, you know, dynamics are different in each state, but you can you could arguably say, I think, with good reason that nowhere is the shift as tectonic between the last election and this one as it is in Tamil Nadu. In the preceding years, we've lost two towering leaders who've sort of dominated the state's politics for decades. That's um, Karunanidhi and Jailalitha. And um, so, you know, the, the, that whole concept of leadership, political leadership, is an issue that looms over this whole election. And in a piece that you've written for the Hindu most recently, which we'll post along with this podcast, of course, you kind of frame it helpfully as a question of inheritance. You know, how has each party, the two major parties, the DMK and the AIA-DMK, how they dealt with this, this question of inheriting that political leadership? Because the structure in each case isn't, was a bit iffy. Uh, so, um, you know, how, so just let's just start with that question. How, how have the two parties dealt with this question of inheritance of political leadership? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, your question goes to the very heart of what is churning in Tamil Nadu politics today. And I also agree that it's one of the states that's had the most dramatic shifts uh, in the very ecosystem that that is prevalent since the last election, as you said, 2016. Um, So I think, look, the changes that have happened, the disappearance from the stage of Jayalalitha and Karnanadi really throws into highlight the kind of party leadership that we've had for the best part of half a century. So let's look at each party. So on the AIA-DMK side, you always had very charismatic leaders. It was initially uh, MGR, MG Ramachandran, who split off from the DMK after his own clashes with uh, erstwhile DMK leader Karnanadi and formed the AIA-DMK, built it up very rapidly and almost explosively 
on the sheer power of his cinematic uh, sort of magnetism and that happened in uh, around in 19 you know his he started, he entered government in 1977 as chief minister and since then of course he after his time he handled the man, uh, handed the mantle over of leadership to jayalalitha who again not only was you could call his protege but also had a similar background in the sense of used her uh, very deep experience and uh, you know popularity through cinema to really put across her political message as a propagandistic device so i think the party in terms of the leadership character had that deep enmeshing with the cinema industry and therefore you can understand that in a state where cinema has played a very powerful role in the whole makeup of the state the dravidian movement for many many decades these two leaders had very far reach and at the same time there was a parallel sort of features that went with these two leaders of the aia dmk and that is that you know they completely undercut any sense of democratic practice uh, within the party cadre and uh, even whatever structures you know uh, councils and so forth were created within the aia dmk were in name only and at the end of the day whether you know the, a small decision down at some village or uh, district level up to macro decisions at the state level they were all made only by one person uh, in under the admk under J, uh, mgr as well as jayalalitha that is just the way the party was and my point to bring that first part of the story to an end is to say that what has happened with the disappearance of jayalalitha from the scene is that the party is facing an unprecedented change where it is having to answer very uncomfortable questions about the ability of the existing the remaining leaders today to command and to hold together and consolidate the party not allow it to fragment and indeed fend off the most dramatic challenges that it faces from both the dmk its very long time rival as but even more from other regional parties and even internally though they have aligned with the bjp to find that balance of give and take between dravidian politics and hindutva politics so for all of those things the way that an mgr or a jayalalitha would have dealt with it is quite different from what the current crop of leadership in the aia dmk is able to do right now and that's the huge question mark hanging over their heads as they go into this very interesting election so let's now jump to the other side of the fence which is the dmk and look at the leadership question there uh, they have had certainly a, fa- a relatively more structured passing of the mantle they had a sex- like a business continuity plan if you will succession planning and the party card very quickly coalesced around mk stalin uh, as the anointed head of the dmk during his father's time although the interesting footnote there jayant is that his father despite being extremely you know ailing and very advanced age he did not actually hand over the reins of power to stalin while he was still alive which le- leaves not just us but i'm sure the people of the state the voters with a little bit of a question mark and so this is the challenge that stalin will continue to face uh, even if, though he has the advantage of being a legitimate heir of karnanidhi the, the the challenge being he will voters believe that he actually has the you know the spurs the credentials to pull off a state assembly election victory he did deliver in 2019 where the dmk swept the lok sabha elections and delivered a rich crop of seats but uh, not so in 26 uh, in 2016 where stalin was playing a key role already so for him it is really about um, it's a, almost 
even more severe challenge that the ADMK leaders face because it's really make or break. The ADMK leaders, Edapadi Pandey Sami and O Pandey Selvam, at least have the last few years of governance record to claim as their own and to stand on that. But Stalin does not have that, and for him, if he goes into, if he fails to deliver on this election, it could well be that he is going to go into political oblivion after this. So let me just leave it at that, and then we can pick apart uh, the threads further from there. Yeah, right. Um, we'll get to we'll get to that aspect of good governance that you spoke about. Uh, that um, you know that this perhaps characterized the years in between uh, Jayalalitha passing and Mr. Palni Sami taking over as chief minister. Uh, but just to touch on uh, Mr. Stalin uh, for a moment, like you said, um, his father uh, delivered, I think, uh, 10, uh, 10 assembly election yeah. victories. That's uh, so you know, and and he's as you mentioned till the till the very end, there was no actual formal passing on of the mantle. So you know, the, he doesn't have an assembly election to, to claim as his own. Though you know, riding on the back of um, perhaps a kind of a we will get to that factor later. But he did, in alliance with the Congress, deliver a pretty strong showing. In 2019, yes. now um, you know there's been it's this is a a fairly recent thing in Indian politics where we're seeing in a number of states that they that voters um, sort of vote for one party who they feel is a better national um, you know a better national choice and one party that's a better state choice. The choice is a bit it's a bit different in Tamil Nadu, but you've also kind of diagnosed that um, diagnosed if you like the fact that voters might prefer to send one of these parties as representatives to delhi perhaps to act as a bulwark against what they see as uh, you know delhi yeah. sort of trying to dominate south indian politics right and perhaps uh, choose another party in the state which uh, which they perceive to have delivered good governance so could that could that sort of play out uh, in this in this case well, how do you think that dichotomy might play out yeah uh that's a fascinating question and i think you're right to say that some patterns have emerged in this regard uh if you look especially from to the year 2000 onwards it almost seems like uh, the voters of the state were very clear in sending the dmk into the lok sabha and keeping the ai dmk in power in the state state assembly so like you said i think uh, and my the article also argues it is almost as if this voters seem to believe that the dmk is able to is the is the party of choice to offer a pushback against the heavy, sometimes heavy handedness of uh, you know a centralized uh, centralizing power in the state in the central government in delhi so it's not only particular to the bjp and hindutva politics but even in the earlier era of upa and congress uh, there is a sense always in tamil nadu that why should we have a remote and distant new delhi the netas of new delhi why should they be telling the tamil people and the tamil voters what to do why should they be dictating hindi policy to us why should they be dictating on neet why should they be uh, holding back on the share of taxes that we get which and we should get much more because we contribute more why have they not given us more in terms of funds to fight the covid-19 Uh, pandemic when we have actually demonstrated that our bureaucracy is highly capable so these questions the the beauty the interesting fact here that ethnographers look at is that the dravidian movement has actually built on this sort of uh, willingness to push back on any number of issues and it was initially in fact under the dmk it was termed as uh, sort of assertive populism so you you are being a populist you are trying to mobilize people politically in tamil nadu on the basis of these claims but you're doing so on the plank of pushing back you're pushing back against hindi dominance 
Brahmin dominance, North Indian dominance, uh, you know, and uh, all of these things which are seen as threats to the Tamil identity. So your question actually has a very, very deep root and that goes back to the very sense of Tamil ethnic identity, which was at the heart of the Dravidian movement itself. Uh, so in that regard, I think those among the Tamil voters who still have, who feel a sense of Tamil exceptionalism in that way, may be of mind to send the DMK to the Lok Sabha. And those who feel that, look, we are more concerned about the dark side of Dravidian politics, which I've talked about in that piece too, which is to do with the very rampant spread of corruption at all scales from grand larceny, you know, at the state government level down to micro corruption and bribe taking and demanding of bribes, uh, which, you know, hampers transactions at the very, at the citizen or individual level. The people are in some ways sick of that too. And the change in leadership that we talked about in your previous question could be seen by some voters as an opportunity to to allow the formation of a new paradigm where there is less corruption and more focus on governance. And I think it is this sort of uh, push and pull between the sense of Dravidian identity versus the need for good governance that are almost clashing with each other. And this election is going to be a real acid test to see which of those prevails. Right. So picking up from that aspect of good governance, like I said, a sort of two-pronged question on the AIA DMK. So we must point out here that 2016 was a very rare election where, because, you know, before that anti-incumbency was almost a given. For years and years, the DMK came to power and then the AIA DMK and they would be voted out, um, you know, spectacularly. So whichever party was in power. In 2016, the AIA DMK retained power. And that was, uh, it was largely believed to be on the back of many popular welfare schemes um, and good governance, like you say. Now, that's one thing that, uh, despite the fact that there was some turbulence when um, when Jalalita passed, passed away, um, the party has seemed to, seems to have sort of come together around Mr. Palani Sami, um, who sort of brokered this peace with Opanir Salvam. And uh, they have delivered some, on some level, uh, good governance. So, you know, just... Just speak to us a little bit about that record. What's it been like really in the state since since that kind of stabilization of power? Uh, because Jail Ita passed away soon after that uh, 2016 verdict. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was definitely a period of turbulence uh, for the AIA DMK. There's no denying that. Uh, like you said, not only was there friction between Adapati Panlisami, the current chief minister, and his deputy, uh, O Panir Salvam, but it began with... Uh, actually, Sasikala making a claim for the mantle of the party after Jayalalitha's passing. She herself, of course, could not continue to fight that fight because the uh, disproportionate assets uh, scam case, legal case, caught up with her. She and Jayalalitha were actually, uh, they were, well, she was, Sasikala was found guilty and Jayalalitha would have been found guilty had she lived. But her passing, obviously did not see her any further involved in that case. That case against her was abetted. So I abetted. So I think the point is, this goes back to the former point about a lack of very strong leadership that could have ever flourished under Jailalita. Jailalita herself, from her autocratic style, and I say that with a sense of, you know, uh, close analysis of how she functioned, absolutely autocratic style of functioning, including, you know, the demand that people, uh, party members demonstrate their fealty and loyalty by uh, prostrating themselves publicly at her feet. Uh, all of that 
was a very deliberate move to degrade any chance of leadership growing and that infighting that we saw in the immediate aftermath of her passing was a direct consequence of that so while you know let's say someone like pa- paneer selvam he is from uh, theni district he is also a tevar leader in terms of the caste dynamics and he could have made a much stronger claim to be the genuine uh, sort of legacy of jayalalitha's uh, mantle uh, had he been had he had a greater voice had he had that sense of chemistry and sense of charisma with the rest of his party but no he didn't edapadi palnisami and indeed so many other leaders who were from represent other caste groups were equally strong counterweights and counterforces against him as indeed was sasikala who was actually outside the party mechanism for all party uh, all practical purposes so that tells you how weak all the leadership uh, sort of vectors were within the party and despite that it, the all of those leaders benefited from the one thing that jayalalitha gave them which is her parting gift of the 2016 assembly election uh, with that what they have effectively done for the last 5 years is basically you know literally closed the doors to all external threats within their party hold firm after that initial period of turbulence and that included shutting out uh, ttv dinakaran also sasikala's nephew who went on to form the ammk uh, that included any further sort of cutting into their vote share by newcomers who could potentially enter including uh, kamal hasan and rajnikanth as other cine stars who were trying to make an entry or who have made an entry uh, including the bjp itself which was trying to get a greater footprint it has only managed to do so with by hanging on to the coattails of the aia dmk so the aia dmk held on to that parting gift of jayalalitha and has only focused on governance and to their credit they have done a very good job of it the state has been on a relatively more solid base than it was towards even the end of jayalalitha's reign you know there was all the struggle with uh, jallikattu and all of that and uh, there was a lot of turbulence over civil disturbances you know police violence in the face of protests all of that the sterlite uh, protests and all of that but since then there has been peace and harmony for the greatest measure we've not seen anything kind of rock the boat too much at the same time the crisis that have engulfed everyone like covid-19 has been very effectively handled tamil nadu is credited as one of those states that has performed extremely well in terms of uh, you know the testing and the vaccination program rollout all of that so i think the 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 ruling dispensation gets full credit for that unfortunately for them they are still facing their biggest challenge only in the next few days which is make makes this ex- election extremely interesting for the rest of us and that is that they will have to face up to the external challenge outside of their party they will have to answer the dmk's very sharp critiques of diluting the dravidian principles by aligning with the bjp they will have to answer the very many other parties that actually say look you claim to have broken with jayalalitha's uh, Uh, you know inheritance of corruption but this is still a very very corrupt government you have been seen wanting in so many regards there are so many opportunities for say development and infrastructure that you have missed there are so many other things that you could have done better which you failed so will they be able to answer all that will they be able to convince the voters of that i think that is where uh, you know their their biggest challenge lies and you will see the answer in the days ahead right so yeah um, i think we'll sort of round it off with with the aia dmk's alliance with the bjp 
now the bjp as a whole now the, the when you take this whole set of assembly elections you know as a you know in a, in a more holistic sense it is the the big looming question is about the bjp gaining gaining a stronger footprint in areas yeah. not traditionally considered its stronghold now yeah. it it's hard to read what's been the the bjp strategy or campaign like in tamil nadu in these years as you say a lot of it has been hanging on to the coattails of the aia dmk so it's 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 easier to say in west bengal where they they've kind of gone all out the campaign is a lot more vociferous yeah but you did mention that you know this uh, this question of leadership that we spoke about first you know the the passing of two great leaders creates this gap and and for some that gap can be perceived as a sort of a you know an acceptance of a new kind of politics perhaps space for a new kind of political an- alignment so yeah. again so what what is is there a space for the bjp to gain a stronger footprint in tamil nadu this time they i mean if the if ever there was an opening this this time would be it i suppose absolutely absolutely i think um, one of the biggest learnings of the dravidian movement itself you know uh, is that you know they there was a much greater emphasis on regional parties strong regional leaders who represented the language the culture and the identity politics of that of the state uh, there's a preference for them over any homogenizing national type party whether the congress or the bjp so in a sense even though you have of course the youth voting in this election who may not have voted before the post millennials generation z and so on and uh, they may not be carrying the echoes of the dravidian movement and its intellectual memory or its uh, sort of the, the inheritance of their fathers and mothers and their grandparents and so on who spoke about leaders such as periyar and annadurai and of course then dmk uh, the dmk leader karnanadi and mgr of the admk uh, so they will exercise a greater say in this election but the again fascinating question for sociologists is uh, does that sense of tamil exceptionalism and identity still percolate to the youth and will they will they be the ones deciding that balance between the call for good governance and the need to protect tamil identity and the uniqueness of tamil nadu politics so i think uh, in terms of the bjp coming in the hindutva challenge is an entirely new one so over and above the question of good governance which prime minister narendra modi amit shah and all of them uh, you know they push the propaganda on that as the party of anti corruption as the party that you know brought the bureaucracy in line as the party that is bringing back economic fugitive offenders from abroad all of that it is portraying itself as the party of good governance but it is also portraying itself as the party of muscular hindutva so a further complex question for the tamil nadu voter is even if you really want the good governance of the bjp are you willing to tolerate the saffron politics of of the sang parivar along with that as part of a package deal so that's the other fascinating question that voters will be deciding on and we will see the outcome of uh, but like you said i think the absent the leadership question the absence of very powerful leaders within the dravidian fold has certainly made a little more easy pickings available for the bjp i think in their dream scenario they may be obviously wanting to perhaps secretly see the eventual uh, weakening of the aia dmk to pick off what remains there and maybe form some sort of a, a rainbow alliance with them which is much more permanent than what they have now for now what they anecdotally at least what we hear is 
they have been working through their parent organization the rss the same way they have in bengal in west bengal which is the rss is very very quietly and under the radar percolating through to the village level and it is quietly spreading the message through organizing you know temp- uh, temple events at a very local level by bringing certain districts together under the umbrella of certain festivals these very very subtle cultural iconic uh, uh, messaging that happens the rss is brilliant they've been doing this since 1947 and even probably uh, before in some other party organization form but they have mastered that art and the bjp of course is the political vehicle that finally capitalizes on that so i think one should not overestimate the power of dravidianism to be sort of uh, you know complacent about what the rss has been achieving quietly in the villages there so i would not even rule out a very surprising result in for the bjp maybe even more than what they expected based on this very quiet propagandistic uh, methods um so i think the bjp is on a solid footing as it, it will ever be compared to the last several decades but having said that they are still fighting jayant against the very very well oiled juggernauts of the dmk and the aia dmk which have mastered the art of fundraising and mobilization since 1967 they have uh, capabilities that exceed probably the best those of the best known corporates the fortune 500 companies of this uh, of the world so they uh, they operate brilliantly at the village level of course as we all know every election there'll be a whole bunch of uh, you know vans and lorries stopped all over the state with large suitcases full of money that goes on that oils the wheels of the machine but we if we take that at face value uh these two parties are still offer a formidable challenge to the bjp whether the bjp is pushing the message of governance or the quieter softer method, uh, message of hindutva because in 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 a state like tamil nadu it cannot afford to be extremely vociferous about it the way it can in the north right yeah that sets it up really interestingly just uh, finally we should touch on perhaps if there are any um forces outside of the parties that we spoke about um you know mr rajnikanth didn't enter the fray uh, eventually but uh, kamal hasan is there um he sort of made his debut in the 2019 lok sabha elections has there been any sort of growth in his political presence um, you know from from then till now yeah i mean uh, he he has kamal hasan has certainly moved much further forward than rajnikanth ever had i think one had doubts about whether rajnikanth would take steps so it was not really a surprise when he decided at the last minute he would pull out i think in his case his health as well as the fact of the covid-19 pandemic uh, as well as maybe his lack of financial backing from a deep party a deep pocketed party such as the bjp uh, all of those things culminated to kind of keep him out of it uh, kamal hasan went much further in terms of quickly articulating not only a party agenda but then pulling together the makalni di mayam uh, and being very clear about where on the political spectrum he stood so i think people don't have even the level of doubt about him that they did in terms of rajini's politics um, but the, again i think the 2019 uh, election was a sort of an acid test to sh- which showed that he doesn't yet have anywhere close to the kind of statewide following that you would need to actually be a force that could tip the election one way or the other and while we're talking about him we shouldn't forget about the plethora of other parties um you know from the, uh, the you know the, the the all the other dravidian parties the pmk the vck the dalit panthers so many of the other parties uh, seeman there's so many of them who could 
uh, you know, just chip away at small bits of the vote share, which could end up in the case of a much closer than predicted uh, outcome. Uh, they could make quite a bit of a difference, and indeed, so could so could uh, Kamal Hassan himself. If he ended up doing pretty well, maybe the same sort of credence that Tamil Nadu voters might uh, think of in, of the BJP in terms of good governance, they may prefer to go with a party like the Makalnidi Mayam because Kamal Hassan also talks about governance, but the big difference being he does not talk about Hindutva politics. So that could be a cocktail of political ideologies that appeals much more at the state level. So again, you know, they may vote differently for in terms of Makalnidi Mayam in the state assembly than they did in the uh, Lok Sabha election. So I think uh, Tamil Nadu is also, while we have, like you correctly pointed out earlier, you've seen landslide victories for the DMK and the ADMK since the 90s at least, uh, starting, you know, with people like GK, Mupanar, the TMC, all of them, every little party also, you know, played a, played a little role on the scale, on the weighing scale, tipping it a little bit one way or the other and adding to the victor's spoils. Or falling off the scale when the lose when they happen to ally with the losing party, so I think you're going to continue to see that, and so therefore no analyst would be wise to discount all of these uh, the multitude of uh, smaller actors and smaller parties. They're going to make a difference too. Right? Yeah, I know that's a fascinating point. Um, some opinion polls have uh, predicted a fairly uh, clean sweep for the DMK, um, yeah. but um, it does it does sound like you are expecting a far more close contest. Yeah, I would think so. Definitely. Right. Narayan, we'll wrap it up there. And thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. It was a really fascinating sort of mix of thank politics you. and sociology and lots of other things. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, do, we'll probably get back to this topic when we, when we get some projections, possibly to talk about results. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the Hindus in Focus podcast. Stay tuned for more and uh, we'll see you again. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.